Well, welcome back, Jay McBain, my friend. How are you, sir? Thank you so much for having me back. Always, mate, always. Jay is the Principal Analyst for Channels and Partners at Partners and Alliances at Forrester. And may I just sneak in uh, there, my friend. Uh, you've recently won the award from Channel Partners uh, for the 2021 Influencer of the Year. Congratulations, mate. Well deserved. Mm. Uh, among many other among many other awards, and of course Scott, through you, way you get too many awards, you need to give me. <laughs> and um, Scott is the CEO and founder of iasset.com and my uh, uh, long long life long term uh, business partner. Well, I want to explore um, your timely predictions, Jay. Um, and in this channel talks, I want to like talk about the things that other people dare not say. You know, the things that are you know secretly hidden in, in inside people's head. But in relation to a selection of these these predictions that you have, so let's start with you know from what you're seeing, Jay, and what you're measuring. How is work permanently and truly changing? And in that lens, you know, how does that affect the role of the channel uh, from the view of in influencing and driving digital transformation? Yeah. So the way I answer this question, and the only way to look forward for me is look through the lens of the buyer, look through the lens of the customer. At Forrester, we get to survey 690,000 people a year. So we get to ask the question a lot of different ways. First and foremost, on the one-year anniversary today of the pandemic, uh, you know, we're asking the question of where they're spending their money and where they're investing. Number one, far and away, is automation. So they're rethinking where humans, where processes, where workflows, where business logic you know, intersects. And that's kicking off a new future of work. You know, number two, and that's, you know, many companies like RPA companies are growing by triple digits right now. In number two is obviously multi-cloud, hybrid cloud. We're seeing a, an acceleration because of COVID. Last week, Google, you know, announced 54% growth. Microsoft at 50% growth in Azure after posting 48 and 47 in the previous quarters. The guy at AWS got a nice promotion a few weeks ago. I mean, that's growing off the charts. Big SaaS companies are growing in the 30s. So absolutely number two biggest spending area. Number three is we're on the new remote topology. So everybody a year ago today went home. Uh, we emptied the supply chain of laptops. We all became UCAS and Zoom experts overnight. Well, later on in the year, customers are, started asking, because this wasn't short term, this affects 20 to 30% of all of us in the future of work and what a new remote or residential network looks like, the security, the risk, the compliance, the governance, the productivity, all these things now are the larger opportunity on top of what this looks like. That's number three. Finally, every company in every industry had to rethink their customer experience. They had to move to curbside service. Uh, you know, in the US, for example, we went from pandemic into pandemonium and social unrest. We had some murder hornets in the middle it was a very trying time for employees. So employee experience took off, partner experience. In the first three months of the pandemic, marketplaces grew more than the last 10 years combined. So the investment into e-commerce and marketplaces, that became the fourth biggest area, which is the business outcome or business model investment. So that all combined is basically the result for the channel of where the partners who are growing at triple digits are and the ones who are shrinking are. Yeah, that sounds like a, the perfect, and in some in, in some ways obvious five point business plan of what you need to tackle into and 
I think it was Oscar Wilde that said, when the obvious goes unstated for too long, get on a soapbox and blare it at the top of your lungs. Scott, you want to jump onto that soapbox because you've got a lot of practical experience around those four or five points. Um, it's, to me, a business plan that uh, is worthy of execution. What are you seeing from an execution? Oh, you know, I'm kind of still seeing deer caught in the headlights. I'm seeing a lot of middle management inside some of these large organisations that we're talking to that are just... They're not even prepared to take the leap. And, you know, the, it's, it's like it's caving below them and they're not sort of jumping that chasm to get out of the way. You know, we, we talked to someone recently who got some investment from a private equity firm and they need to move fast because PE wants to sell that business or float it or whatever in two years' time and building it themselves or making their Excel macros go faster is not going to cut it for a PE organisation. But these guys don't seem to want to go to the next step or at least get that innovation drive going. And I think it's... I think there's a, a lack of risk-taking inside sort of these middle areas of some of these larger corporations, even when the general leadership of the organisation are pu pushing a strategy of, we need to move. Is it fear of risk or is it fear of change? Uh, it could be both. I mean, it's, you know, there are some people that can't embrace change because that's not what they're destined to do. But in reality, it doesn't matter which aspect of life there is change is thrust upon you and you can either embrace it or you're going to get mown over by it. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, Jay Scott, you know, in, in that, with that, um, it's, a, it's a real heavy point because it, undoubtedly the future of IT is in, in the consumption of IT is in subscription and subscription economics. It just is absolutely the biggest vendors, you know, Cisco and HPE, et cetera, that are already, already going full bore in that. And, and they, and they are, incentivizing or incentivating their channels to get on board with that. That's how you make money. That's how you make rebates. That's how you stay relevant to them. And we've got this, you know, we've got this thing called a software stack, which right now I think, Jay, correct me if I'm wrong, about 183 um, organizations in that uh, stack, which provide the answers. That <laughs> yeah, that guy in the background. Probably about 183 of them, which I asked at the com, of course, is one to accelerate the channel's involvement in that. So there, to me, there's no barrier. There's no barrier to moving into what is the way that a customer, to your point, Jay, a customer wants to uh, it, use technology to stay relevant to their customers, to stay relevant to their business from a revenue generation and a market generation, a market creation point of view, but even at a cost uh, optimization point of view. Um, why do you say in your predictions the channel isn't ready, and this is this is it's it's a, it's a direct discussion around risk. Uh, I, I agree with you, by the way, um, that in the main the channel isn't ready, uh, because I also look at the forecast that you have for those hundred and eighty odd um, uh, SaaS uh, channel vendors. Um, of uh, it's it's around about five point seven billion, uh, and to me that's just nowhere near enough to to be able to you know, do what is necessary to meet the demands of the end customer. Can you talk to that point of the channel is not, you know, you, you believe that the channel isn't ready? Yeah, you bring up originally a really interesting concept of psychology. So, you know, you have a big survey that 76% of CEOs around the world think their current business model will be unrecognizable mm -hmm. in the next few years, 76%. So then you get into a middle manager, you get into people inside these companies that say, hey, that sounds interesting, you know, next, you know, you go back yeah. to your day. But then you're in the company like Cisco or Dell or IBM or HPE or, you know, the hundreds of others since then 
have committed 100% to subscription consumption models. And then at Forrester, our phones light up and say, well, what does this mean? You know, for 39 years, we've had a program that's been anchored on a transaction. And my CEO just told me that that transaction is now the first 30 days with the customer. Yeah. Oops. And then last yeah. week, we have Google and Apple, you know, get on the privacy thing. So we've been talking about this early journey for a while and saying that as customers, as buyers get more anonymous in that early journey, you know, ecosystems become more important because Absolutely. that's the only way you're going to be able to see these early moments. Well, last week, Google got on it and cut down cookies and cut down all retargeting and all the different technology underneath the internet that made us a product. And then Apple, you know, before that, our next iPhone update, we basically are able to surf the internet anonymously. So in that world now, now you get a new phone call that says all of the, at least half the MarTech stack that I've ran in my company, spending millions and millions of dollars on, has been neutered because it doesn't have the technology. This 76% is becoming true because I don't have an ecosystem built on the influence side to at least be aware of what my buyers are doing. Mm -hmm. So that becomes important. So all these things start happening and they become real for you when it impacts your job, when it impacts the partners you cover and, it, and everyone else in that ecosystem. And then you got to quickly catch up to what you need to do. To make, to make yourself ready, right? So how do you become quickly ready? Scott, I'll throw that back to you because you're seeing this real life every day. And um, last week we uh, we had a great conversation with Nick Mader from uh, Gainside who basically said it's the excuse, the, the excuse of moving and let's find five, six, seven excuses to move. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that, mate? Uh, so my experience over the last few months has been that with the privacy bit being cut back, it's also giving some customers um, pause for thought on their in-store base because they actually have the data set. They know who's got the kit. They know what's operating in certain environments. So it has helped some of them steer back to their channel and customer base rather than it's only net new, net new, net new. And so um, there's this change to, you know, well, one of them calls it IB next or install base next to really focus on opportunities being driven out of the base that they can control because they no longer can see what's ahead of them. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll throw in my 0.22275 Bitcoin's worth here and say, <laughs> and say the excuses that we're hearing, and I will call them excuses, and I don't want to put a negative uh, slant on this because there are so many, you know, you know, our customers who are going, you know, going like crazy, you know, it comes down to, well, bad data. We talk about that. There's no such thing as bad data. We just have to show them that once you put that data in, it was just organized for a different reason. And now it's organized well because you're putting into a SaaS solution that reorganizes that data and executes on the, you know, channel transformation uh, opportunity. So tick. Um, then there's the, the other side to it, which is I'll build it myself. Well, okay, build it yourself if you want. That's going to take you five years, maybe four, at best three, and it won't be anywhere near what's already there. So you've lost three years' worth. So you, you, you've just lost three years, and you're not allowed to be employed if you lose three years of revenue opportunity, and we will talk about revenue management. And the one that bothers me the most is when I hear, um, when I hear channel partners and also distributors say, well, someone else should be doing this for me meaning I'm going to walk away from my competitive advantage. You know, I want your thoughts on that. Well, from my point of view, I already know, you know, one of the distributors of renewal rates is around about the 47% mark. So if you're relying on your distributor, you're only closing half of your renewals base 
and forgetting expand, upgrade, etc. And quite often the distributors, the smaller distributors are relying on the manufacturer to keep them honest with their renewals base. And of course, the, the manufacturers are too far removed from the end customer through those channel tiers. So it's like the, the fog of war for them. So I think that um, in reality, there are um, the existing opportunities for install based management. But I think where there's new opportunities to Jay's point about cloud and consumption is um, plugging in dial home type services from manufacturers, which is anonymized effectively to the stacks, and then plug it into someone like us where we can go and manage the opportunity and say, you know, that storage array is going to run out of storage in three months' time. We know that, but they're not doing anything about it. So they need to connect that data set then through their distributor, their reseller or channel partner, and out to the customer so that your engineer walks in two months before you run out of storage with the next array as a proactive service. That's To me, that's the proactivity and the consumption part happening in a real time with data coming in from install base. Yeah. Jay, we talk about influences and how to actually um, transition the thinking, all right, of, of, of the laggards, if you like. Um, what's your advice to those who are lagging behind this transition and not uh, and, and, and getting getting around those three objections that we, we constantly see. Yeah, so beyond understanding where the puck is going to be, to use a Canadian term, you know, where the customer spend is and where the where the opportunity is, on one side, you know, traditional hardware, computer hardware, telco hardware is down by double digits right now. You've got, you know, tech consulting and traditional system integration work down by double digits. We're in a K-shaped recovery here. I started talking about other opportunities that are up by 50 or 100%. So it's understanding what lane you want to be in, you know, first of all, from the customer first. But then understanding the trends, not 20 years from now, but the ones that are already, trains are on the track and they're picking up speed. Understanding where you fit in the ecosystem, where you fit in a subscription consumption model, where you fit in an embedded white-labeled world, where you fit in a marketplace, where 17% of our industry is gonna go perhaps as quickly as by the end of this year. Who becomes the digital connective tissue of that storage deal we just talked about that needs the renewal and obviously the enrichment of that contract. And these are the fundamental shifts that are happening in our industry. There is a great opportunity for partners to leverage what I call the multiplier in a multi-cloud hybrid cloud world, in an automation world and in these opportunities. But there's also risk. It's, it's great for vendors as well, in most cases, if yeah. you're on the right side of the K-shaped recovery. Mm. Distributors stick out as the one that is most at risk. In a world where the transaction goes down to the first 30 days with the customer, in a world where vendors are starting to move their money like peanut butter into that early influence and into that later retention, in a world where partners are not looking at a percentage of the deal, because if it goes to that first 30 days with the customer, remember back in the Microsoft days where Office 365 was $6? Yeah. At you know, 10 or 20% of that, you have to sell a lot of those licenses to pay your mortgage. Absolutely. And that triggered, that was 12 or 13 years ago. Well, when HPE GreenLake goes from a multi-million dollar deal for infrastructure to a $9,000 a month, hmm. there are no credit and capital facilities in a subscription model. The 3PL logistics are becoming a commodity as companies like Amazon are walking into this with one day delivery. The marketing services against a traditional VAR channel are also 
you know, competing with a broader community of influence. So the very business model of distribution is getting threatened here. And so we did a big piece a couple of weeks ago, backed up by some pretty deep research that called out, you know, 10 different converging trends that, you know, is now a point of survival for this industry and the transformations that they're currently on, you know, become very much uh, time-based as these trends are accelerating due to the pandemic. Well, you do say from your research and research is research. It's, it's just there. It's fact, right? Uh, and you say that distributors tend to be struggling right now. And you actually even, uh, the question I like was, are distributors the new distribution? Let's talk about that because that's dear to all our hearts. And Scott and, and I have built you know, several distributors in the past. Uh, we can see where, and we were trying to inform our, our, our colleagues in the distribution landscape around the world where they need to fit in the, in the new influencer economy and how they influence and therefore execute on vendors' uh, channel retention and customer retention strategies. Um, it is about automation. It is about uh, influencing de decisions that their channel partners uh, are making. It is about uh, putting together multiple solutions, being able to automate them. So because in the new world, no technology lives in isolation and being able to manage that constantly so that you can get to that ultimate customer success. They seem to be in the perfect position to be able to do that if, you know, you know, distribution are the new distributors, uh, 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 distributors are the new distribution uh, or whatever you want to call them. You know, and many distributors who have added significant value have always questioned, are we distributors anymore? So it talks to your point where the, where the ones that are really uh, innovative are saying, well, are we doing distribution anymore? I want, I want to unflesh that, mate, because that was a powerful statement. And you did write that piece and, and I've read that piece. And it's, in, in many instances, it's opportunity, 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 rather than danger, danger, warning, warning. So I want to talk to the positive side of that. And let's, 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 let's explore that for a minute. Scott, I mean, you know, no doubting, you know, you've been one of the most successful people in distribution around the world. Uh, what's your advice to distribution right now? Well, if I could, if I could uh, take a dollar for every year I've heard distribution is dead over the last 38, nearly 40 years of being in the game, um, I'd be a very rich man or richer. Um, at the end of the day, you've got to evolve to the market. And right now, evolution in the market is, so the vendors, the, the sort of main vendors are saying, well, we're going to push data out to the distributors via a portal. That'll take cost out of our business. But actually, that just overlays more cost on the distributor's business and they're not getting more margin for it. And then, then the distributors are doing the same thing and turning around going, well, we've got this nice shiny new portal for you resellers to log in and do that. That's not the answer. The answer is integration. Because if you've got, to Jay's point, if you've got a $200 of antivirus you know, consumption every month, as soon as someone picks up a phone to say, well, can I have a quote for that renewal or can I do something or do I have to log in to the 30 portals I have to log in to manage all 30 vendors uh, businesses, I've lost money. There's just, you can't scale at that. So this has to be, and it's always been my thing is the ecosystem. It has to be integrated at both ends so that there's absolutely no speed bumps to the velocity, especially of the long tail of deals that are out there so that the partners, whether it's the vendor, the distributor or the channel partner can focus on the broader, bigger relationship parts that come with influencing or making sure that they're closing out the core of those networks or the core of that service. 
Um, you know, the, if, if you don't integrate, and, and I love it, I mean, we're putting resellers into all sorts of distributors now because we've be effectively become the MuleSoft or Boomi in a channel context because the resellers don't have the tech and they certainly don't have internal development to do APIs. The distributors present the APIs, but they, they're all flapping out in the wind. No one's actually connecting to them. So as we move down that journey, the smarter distributors are starting to integrate across their um, uh, ecosystem, vendors and resellers. And that's where I think distribution needs to go with all this high-speed, low, uh, sorry, high-speed, low-value uh, transactions. Yeah. Jay? Well, we asked some, you know, pretty hard questions. You know, are distributors the future of distribution? I was going to and say, you might need to put your hazmat suit on to answer this question. <laughs> that, that, that's probably true. So, you know, when you broke down the research, you know, first of all, we know that every company in every industry is becoming a technology company. The disruption we read about in magazines and newspapers every day in every other industry, the solution to all of it is by technology companies disrupting and then these companies becoming technology companies to counter it. So in a world where everyone converges, distribution breaks into really three things. You're distributing bits, you're distributing atoms, physical goods, and you're distributing services. And so when you break it down into three, you start to ask the question, who's at the front end of that? So we've always had the assumption and during, and the, you know, for everybody calling for the end of distribution, uh, we're definitely not coming to that conclusion. But in the client server era, and those companies we just rattled off, the Cisco's, the IBM's, the HPE's, the Dell's, 80%, even with Dell selling direct, 80% of the business went through the channel mm. as the tip of the spear and then through distribution. And it was a very linear supply chain. Well, 20 years ago, when software started eating the world and the distribution of bits started creating all new models, product-led growth, which over half the 175,000 SaaS companies are currently have as a business model is a direct antithesis to distribution, direct competitor. Direct to consumer with the future buyer looking more like a consumer is a direct competitor. And then you just look at those opportunities that I walked through. The multi-cloud world of this 50% growth that I talked about, only 20 to 30% of it is resold. 70% of it flows direct. Jeez. And that number is actually dropping due to marketplace and other things. So this world is getting tougher for a group of very large Fortune 100 companies that have hidden behind the partner for four decades. Right. Nobody hides in an ecosystem. The average customer during their buying journey, mostly digital buying journey, involved themselves with five partners and 80% of new partners coming into the industry are non-transacting. So in a world that's growing with every company becoming a technology company and then the tip of the spear changing you can't hide behind a shrinking market. Distributors have to step out in front of the customer, much like Intel did 40 years ago and put a sticker on every one of their products and yeah. products. And the music. <laughs> Ingram and Tech and Cinex and all the VADs in Europe and everybody has to step out now and show this wonderful value that they've got. And to the benefit of those partners, to the benefit of the customer and all boats rise, there's no hiding in a celestial ecosystem. When you break out of a linear supply chain, which we are, there's no hiding. 
And this was kind of the conclusion of all the research is in a world that is becoming platform-based, distributors have to become the platform of distribution and not the functional part of distribution is the role that they've played for decades. Yeah, I, I completely agree, mate. I mean, you know, what we're talking about is the, the, the distributor sits in a situation where uh, the opportunity is to monetize data and to monetize process automation and influence that change. All right. That's what, uh, but of course, you do need, you know, good, good lines of credit and you do need a good line card to be able to execute on that. Otherwise, you don't have, you know, something to feed it. But you also have a service. The, the, the distribution as a service argument uh, exists. Now, I, I don't, first of all, I don't, I don't think you need credit and capital at all, by the way. In a pure consumption subscription business, there are no credit or capital facilities. Right. When HPE GreenLake is $9,000 a month or the SaaS software is 20 bucks a month per person. There are no credit and capital facilities. Yeah, well, probably what I should have said is um, uh, the, the process of moving money. You can manage the process of moving money uh, around. I don't yeah. think so. Okay. The money goes through a marketplace. The yeah. money lands either on a credit card or some direct payment scheme. There is no movement. There's no cost of money in a subscription model. There's no delay. There's no floor financing. And there's no million dollar upfront purchases that need to be capitalized. In a subscription model, the cost of money goes to zero. The credit capital facilities, the banking part of distribution, evaporates. Scott, well, effectively, effectively, you're paying Mastercard, Visa, and Amex for the cost of doing the transaction. That's where the money uh, part of it comes into it. You know, our experience is we've built uh, some front end gateways where customers are getting effectively their renewal. Uh, or their consumption piece come up on a screen, they just hit the yes, we accept for another year or whatever it is, and the rebates are paid back through the channel to keep them aligned. And you, you have to ask the question, how long will that go for when you know the manufacturer is controlling the entire transactional process? But again, distribution's always been at risk. You have to keep evolving, like any business has to keep evolving to stay ahead of the game, or you will get lost in the, uh, you know, the history of IT. But I will challenge this, though, and, and, and it's, it's a good debate, Jay, because it's healthy, because we're talking about where it's going versus, you know, where it might be right now, which could be a hybrid, because, Scott, you know, uh, one of the biggest pluses for my asset.com customers when they come back to you and say, yeah, it's transaction automation that I'm getting the most out of. And a part of that transaction automation is the money. So well, they, they, yeah, they are absolutely providing that service. But, but to Jay's point, maybe I made it badly, is the money supply part is now being pushed to the credit card companies effectively because we're down at consumption econ economics. So some of that, not all of it, and there are bigger, you know, we're working with a company in the US now to consume all of the cloud data coming down from multi-clouds to push out invoices to everybody because it's beyond their ability to consume and build their ERP around it. So there are big opportunities still out there that aren't going to be credit card level transactions, but the long tail is going to go down that track, uh, full automation at whatever level it is. Yeah, we can talk, we can quantify this debate. You know, today, a consumer transaction, roughly 3% of it, is the payment processing elements, the movement of money. In that 3%, you do have Visa and MasterCard, but there's actually 17 companies 
that get a nickel of that 3%. In the world of distribution, they could definitely play that role. <clears throat> if they wanna compete in any one of those 17 areas of the movement of money, mm -hmm. but they're so highly competitive and they're so com commoditized, there's no money to be made in payment processing right now. I agree with that. So we're moving away from this conversation there. We're, we're talking about the commoditization of the 3PL logistics and distribution centers where Amazon is now to one day delivery in the US. And whether you have your HPE gear sitting at your local Amazon warehouse or a local Ingram or Tech Data warehouse is becoming commoditized. Absolutely. The customer, which is becoming a consumer, is just expecting one day prime or two day prime, whatever they're buying. If it happens to be Adams, it will be competitive with FedEx, DHL, USPS in the US. It'll be competitive with Amazon. It'll be competitive with Alibaba. The whole 3PL logistics, unpacking distribution center part of the business, which today is break even, becomes more commoditized and becomes more price pressured in the future. We're going by major business units. The final one, which a company like Tech Data, before they were taken private, dropped 80% of their bottom line profit as marketing. When I was a channel chief at Lenovo and cut them a million dollar check every quarter, you know, all of my friends at other large companies who wrote the same check ended up falling down at 95% margins to show the street as their pretty much their only profit. Those checks are starting to erode as Lenovo and other companies are starting to figure out that that only covers about 20 to 30% of the tip of the spear. I got to start moving money over to influencers. I got to start moving money after the transaction. I'm going to start spreading that money like peanut butter. So I'll spend $300,000 to go educate the 75,000 bars and put my logo on a page. So that part of the business is also being threatened by communities, being threatened by other ways to impact the customer. Yeah, we're absolutely seeing that, aren't we, Scott, where vendors are telling us that we want to incentivate the, the ecosystem um, to execute on my uh, customer success and customer retention strategy and, and growth and growth strategy because my customers are digitally transforming. I will only incentivate those who, uh, through rebate or a big fat million dollar check, those who are executing on that. And that could be anyone. Um, and we are seeing some really smart distributors uh, executing on that. And, you know, again, are they being distributors? Well, they're being something, but they're influencers influencing that and executing on that and getting paid handsomely for it. So um, they aren't dying. They're becoming more and more important. The traditional is, is, is definitely under threat.